This morning, I'm beginning a January series on the book of Jude. And so you might like to open it there. The book of Jude, found just before Revelation, goes slowly because there's only one chapter, and you can miss it if you blink. The book of Jude, to me, is highly intriguing. And I believe there's some material here for us that will position us for 2021 with all its divine possibility, provided we learn the first lesson, which is to stand secure on the ground of God's faithfulness. The goodness of God makes you secure in all situations and positions you for the challenges and adventures and victories that lie ahead. There have been a, a, a few changes in our, the way we greet one another over the last 10, 11 months. Um, never have the words stay safe been so impregnated with meaning. And we've got various government exhortations such as hands, face, space, added on to that fresh air. Well, we are blessed in the building because we have a ventilation system that replaces the air every 15 minutes, provided we can just put up with a little bit of chill that comes in from the outside. So a safe space, we want that. A safe place to stand, we want safety for our children at school, not just physically safe, not just being COVID secure, but we want what our kids are being taught in schools to be safe and sound. We look for safety, but there is no more safe ground upon which to stand than the ground of God's goodness and his faithfulness. I mentioned Jude as being a kind of neglected book. Uh, it's short, easily overlooked, or skipped through. Whenever you're going through your daily Bible reading, you find the book of Jude, you get encouraged because you say, I can, I can do this in a matter of seconds. But today we're going to pause and take it slowly and begin to look through the book. It's also neglected, I think, because it's a little strange in places. I don't know if you notice, but there are quotations that Jude takes from writings which are not in the Bible. One Enoch, and a possible reference to uh, a, a document known as the Assumption of Moses or the Testament of Moses. How come he uses this extra biblical material to present to us spiritual truth? We will look at that as we go through. Another reason why some people hold back from the book of Jude is it's got a strong emphasis on judgment. Jude pronounces on behalf of the Lord a judgment upon a certain group of people. These people were apparently setting themselves up as teachers in the church, and they crept in quietly and began to spread their teaching, their false teaching, which was having a negative effect on the faith and life of the church corrupting people's simple faith. And so 
God stands against these people. And this, this idea of judgment, it's not very popular. It's even alien in people's minds in today's way of thinking. I think very largely because, generally speaking, many people are following, when it comes to God, a false understanding of love. They think that love is just about God will accept you, God will include you, God won't say boo to you, you can do what you want, and there he is, he'll put up with everything because he's such a loving God. Now, while we absolutely affirm that God is never unloving, that he is the supreme, almighty, all-loving God, we also know that he's a holy God, and we, when we come into relationship with him, are gifted with his gift of righteousness, but also we have to have a conscience about dealing with the sin in our lives. We can't excuse it. Let's just read Jude verses 14 and 16, and I will exaggerate the emphasis here on judgment just to show you that we're not, we're not scared of this, that we are taking it firmly, fairly, and squarely. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds that God, ungodly sinners have spoken against him. I want you to know it becomes very apparent in the book of Jude, that Jude did not set out to write such a letter. It wasn't his original intention. What he wanted to do was to speak a word of encouragement about the common salvation that believers enjoy. And he wanted to encourage them from these gospel truths. But because of the situation, he felt obliged as a pastor, as an apostolic leader, as a true Bible teacher, not only to encourage, but also to issue a warning. And he said, I am writing to you to encourage you to stand firm and contend for the faith which was once delivered for all to all the saints. So let's read the opening verses of the book of Jude. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now this revelatory prayer of Jude, this pronouncement, we're going to take it upon our lips at the end of the service and add it to the usual words of grace, but if you came today wanting a word for 2021, here it is, straight from the Father's heart. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you in 2021. Verse 3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. 
For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And so we see straight away why there's such an urgency in Jude's tone and what he is addressing. Uh, and very simply, we, we, we get the picture that there were these false teachers who, by the way, were not Christians. Not everything, not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a Christian, as we all know. And it's not just the thinking that comes from outside that affects us sometimes, but it's sometimes this kind of idea begins to creep into the church, and we need to be warned about it. And, and the, clee, the, the clue here is that these people perverted the grace of God into sensuality and denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, very often from this pulpit, we will encourage you to stay pure in the pure message of the gospel, which is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we don't add works to this equation in order to be pleasing to God. We encourage you to live a holy life, not in order to be saved, but we say you've got to live a holy life because you are saved. And so we protect against the teaching of legalism that tries to come in and add human efforts to the grace of God, thus corrupting the grace of God. But it's not legalism that Jude is tackling here. It's more license. You've got, on the one hand, legalism, which says you've got to do this to be saved. You've got to live this kind of way before you get saved. Or license, which says it doesn't matter how you live. You're saved. So just get on with it. They've twisted the grace of God into a form of sensuality, particularly sexual immorality. And it's rather like the people that Paul was addressing when he said, these people say uh, where sin abounds, grace all the more abounds. The implication is let's sin more and more and more so we can get more and more grace. We're so super spiritual that it doesn't matter what we do. God is a God of grace. Now, the true grace of God teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. The true grace of God shapes you, forms you, trains you to live a holy life. And so if somebody is not walking with the Lord in a spirit of holiness, they don't need less grace, they need more grace, not to cover their sin, but to change their heart so that by the grace of God, we enjoy the fruits of righteousness and the joy of walking with him in holiness. So um, here we go. Why am I presenting this book to you throughout these five Sunday mornings? It's short. <laughs> That's a good reason. That means we can probably get through this book in some little bit of detail over the next five Sundays. Unlike poor Dr. R.T. Kendall, who chooses much longer books and takes year after year to get through it verse by verse, I've set myself a more simple task. Also, anything that's neglected calls out for attention. And I believe the Holy Spirit 
wants us to pay attention to the message of Jude this January. I think also it is very relevant to us as today we contend for the faith, as we discern false teaching and false ideas that are absolutely pandemic out there in the world. COVID is not the only pandemic. And unfortunately, this begins to influence some people in their thinking and even right within the Christian churches. And it's imbibed everywhere. All the institutions, all the great giants of society are being influenced, uh, impregnated with, with a totalitarian view which actually is against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we move forward into the 2020s, believe me, we're going to have to stand firmer than ever before and stand up against the enforced indoctrination of our children, of business leaders, people in positions of authority in society, in politics, in education, in medicine, We'll be holding a giant, giant's meeting by the end of the month so that we can identify these ideas which are corrupting people away from the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that sounds like an amazing claim, but we, we will see as, as we go through. I think, I think it's relevant. And also, I, ca I can't think of a better way of starting the year than reminding us of the ground upon which we stand. Praise God for that. And just like every good Pentecostal pastor, as soon as we mention a theme, it's a cue for a thousand songs. And if we go back to the old, old red hymn book, which is a mystery, it's, it's almost a mythology dating back to the times of the dinosaurs and the times of Noah, for none of our people here under the age of 30 remember these songs. But some of us, more mature, mellowed in Pentecostal faith, remember some of these songs. See if you remember them today. On Christ the solid rock I stand. Remember that one? All other ground is sinking sand. And then as we sing it, you repeat that again. Sinking sand. How about this one? Nobody knew this one in the nine o'clock service. Redemption ground. And I believe Gordon Neal will remember singing this song in, from the old red hymn book. The chorus goes like this. Redemption ground, the ground of peace. Redemption ground, oh, wondrous grace. Here let our praise to God abound, who saves us on redemption ground. Oh yes, good old-fashioned Pentecostals knew the ground upon which they were standing. But still, some modern songwriters, more modern anyway, have got the same themes. I wonder if you remember this song. It's, it's more recent. We're standing on holy ground and there are angels all around. Do you remember that? Or how about this other one? Here in the grace of God I stand. We've got those, those songs. So beginning this series with where we stand. And that's not just a statement of fact, it's an exhortation, a call that we would take our stand in the salvation that God has given us for everything that comes to our lives flows out 
of that salvation. And so if we go to the uh, opening words of Jude, we find Jude actually emphasizing the amazing truths of the gospel which will then be outworked in the specific situation of the believers of his day. And I'm trusting God that today you will receive a fresh revelation, a fresh sense of spiritual authority as you stand in your security in Christ, knowing that he who has begun a good work in you will bring it to completion. And nothing will be able to separate you from God's love and nothing really, if you are diligent, will throw you off your spiritual course. So Jude begins by introducing himself. He does it in a very short way, but also quite surprising when you look at it. He introduces himself as the brother of James. Now think through this. Who was James? James was the brother of the Lord. If Jude is the brother of James, and James is the brother of the Lord, then Jude also is a brother of the Lord. Why didn't he say, hey, Jude, brother of the Lord? There's a cue for a song there. Maybe the Beatles got that wrong. Hey, Jude, huh? the brother of the Lord. No, he chooses not to do that. Why? It's interesting. I believe there's an, a, a humility here. I think that's important. He didn't say, hey, do you know who I am? There is Jesus, and next to Jesus, there is James, and I also stand with Jesus because he was and is my brother according to the flesh. But Jude is not wanting to play an advantage here through his familial relationship with Jesus. In fact, like most of the brothers of Jesus, they didn't believe on him during the time of his earthly ministry. Probably after the resurrection, they realized who they had been walking with, who they grew up with. So he, he is not trying to boast in any way at all, but in a simple statement of humility, he calls himself brother. And I think that's a good description. Uh, actually, it's in contrast to some of the uh, fancy titles that are thrust upon us by church tradition and denominationalism, like reverend, reverend. Every time I say reverend, I feel very irreverent. But the point is, is that titles, not necessarily harm, harmful, titles are harmless enough, but, but our authority comes from who we are in Christ, not by any title conferred upon us. Now, it's not just humility that is being revealed here, but also honor. James introduces him, uh, Jude introduces himself as the servant of the Lord. He introduces himself not just as brother, but servant. Now, this is important. The word here is bond slave. In other words, he says, my authority rests in the fact that I am a servant, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. That's so comforting because there is honor attached to it as well as humility. The honor, think about Moses, what the great Old Testament 
apostle of faith. God used Moses in the most extraordinary way with signs and wonders and miracles that boggle the mind and test our ability to believe God's word with the opening of the Red Sea and all the plagues on Egypt. This man spoke into existence a nation constituted under the Mosaic law with feeding not just the 5,000, but the million or more people every day with manna from heaven. Oh, yes, great authority of Moses summarized in the repeated expression of description of Moses' ministry. Moses, the servant of the Lord. Wow, that's an honorific title. And it carries authority. Remember, Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be first, if you want to be great, then become the servant of everyone. For not even the Son of Man came to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So in a, in a subtle way, with humility, Jude is establishing his spiritual authority and his credentials right here. Jude, we don't see him amongst the 12, the primary 12 of Jesus, the 12 apostles, but his tone and the way he presents himself, he is clearly functioning apostolically, bringing this exhortation, encouragement, and warning to those in the very early church. So Jude introduces himself. Then he addresses his audience. He said, to those who have been called. Now, don't stop there. I mean, don't, don't rush on. Pause for a moment. It's very popular today to water down our calling by saying it's an invitation. God is inviting us to lean into him. And all that's true. But you need to know that this word calling is more than an, in, uh, it's more than an invitation. It's an intervention, an intervention of God in our lives, whereby when we hear the gospel, we don't just dismiss it, but the Holy Spirit works on the inside effectually that we actually end up believing this message and confessing this message. The calling here is the effectual call of the gospel by the Holy Spirit upon God's chosen people who are called, separated, and ultimately will be with Christ forever. Praise God for that. But of course, he says to those who are called, uh, a lot of people describe this letter as an open letter, a circulator, a, ge a general letter. It's called a general epistle because he doesn't specify his audience like Paul does, for example, in writes to Ephesus or writes to uh, uh, Titus and, and different people. But it's clear that he has a specific group in mind because of what he goes on to say. And so now, he says, those who are called are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. I'm keeping the NIV wording here because I think the way 
it is translated, does justice, and it's a beautiful sentence, loved by God the Father, kept by Jesus Christ. Now, when we say believers are loved by the Father, understand that he is saying something more than God's general love for every person in the world. We know that is true. God is love, and he loves the world, irrespective of your faith, your belief, your experience, your race, your background. He is, his love is freely poured out upon humanity. But the love that he's talking about here is more than the love that he has for everybody generally. It is God's specific love that he sets upon you and which you know, which you enjoy, which comes into your life through the gospel, shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit. We need this high view of the love of God rather than the weak view of a wishy-washy kind of love in which God will accept you without repentance. Well, God will walk with you and you won't be accountable to him. Well, you don't have to think about who he is, his nature, his holiness, his righteousness. You don't have to conform to his nature and character. That is not the domain of God's love that we're speaking about here. We're talking about God's love freely given, but in such a way that he accepts you as you are but loves you too much to leave you as you are and will work through exhortation, through encouragement, through warning, through chastening, everything, all the means at his disposal so that we'll be shaped by the love of God, having first defined ourselves by the love of God, standing on the foundation of his love, his faithfulness, his goodness, and the accomplishments of Christ on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And from that place of security and acceptance and overwhelming sense of God's love, we take first one step forward, then the next step, and the other step, walking in the light of that love. And here, he says, it's not just that you are loved by God the Father, but the God who loves you sent Jesus not just to save you, but to keep you, to protect you, to keep you saved. I think this is, you know, such an expression of mental sanitation, uh, sanitizing. You know, we've got that gel that sanitizes the hands. Here is the divine gel that sanitizes the mind. And we don't fear as if God has enough strength to wind us up like a clock and let us go on ticking until it all winds down and we won't quite make it to the end, or some battery that loses its power halfway through the video game. No, God has undertaken not just to save us and deliver us, but to keep us, to bring us into that security and perfect the work that he's begun in our lives. And we are kept, preserved by the enabling of God's perfecting grace. Wow, it's wonderful. Now we come to the greeting itself. And like all New Testament letters, which open with a greeting, it's not just following the common courtesies of public speaking or letter writing of the day. 
I don't know if when you last wrote a letter by hand or even you do it uh, on, on an email and you say, dear, dear Mr. Bank Manager, and you say to yourself, let me pause for a moment to see if I've got enough grace actually to believe what I'm writing. And, and you know, it's just a customary thing. Now, when the New Testament letter writers, when they write scripture uh, in the form of letters to one another, they, they use a greeting. But the greeting is not cursory. It, it's not superficial. They fill the greeting, charge the greeting with revelation, with Bible truth. And in this case, Jude mentions three things, which we will talk about briefly. Um, and these things, he's going to build upon them. And it's so important that we read the rest of the book with this greeting ringing in our ears. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. It's wonderful, this word multiplied. May this be yours in abundance. Why does he emphasize abundance and the multiplication of these things that we have in Christ? Because he knows that this people, his readers, are going to need an extra special help from God to pass through the difficulty that they're in. And how true that is of us today. And how wonderful to know that God says, I know it's tough. I know there are a lot, a lot of obstacles. I know you're under pressure. But what I'm going to do in response to the pressure in your life is I'm going to multiply to you my mercy. I'm going to multiply to you my peace and multiply my love, my strong love to you. Wonderful to know that. And we're going to say those words over one another's lives before we end the service today. Notice he says mercy doesn't use the word grace. But of course, grace is implied. The difference between mercy and grace is simple. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. That's condemnation and the judgment of God. Grace is getting what you do not deserve, which is the benefits, the blessings of Christ in your life. He says mercy. Now, mercy is a very strong word because you have nothing to appeal to within yourself. When, when you're at somebody's mercy, it depends on that person, what they do with you. And we are at God's mercy, but thank God, he is a God who abounds in steadfast mercy, loving kindness. He is the God who will multiply mercy. I need the mercy of God. And the one beautiful thing about this is that you've got it in Jesus' name. Peace, that's the shalom of God, which is priceless. Money cannot buy peace. This is the peace that comes from being right with God and the peace from knowing deep down that you are under his care and knowing that it is well and it will end well. That's the peace we know. And I want to speak that peace over your life at the beginning of 2021. Whatever God calls you to go through, I want to tell you it is well and it is going to end well God will not let you down. His peace will govern your life. His peace will drive out all the 
natural, understandable tendencies that we have to worry and fret. God is with you and his peace is upon you. Can I have a strong amen in the house of God? And then he talks about love, love, love. This is the strong love of God. Love is reflected in so many different ways. The ancient Greeks had eight or nine different words for love. But this is the agape love of God, which is strong love. It includes his loving discipline as well as his loving provision for everything that we need. So we can trust ourselves to this God of love. And so let this be multiplied to you. An abundance of these things during stressful and trying times. God will not allow you to go through any difficulty without also giving you the grace to endure and to come out on top in Jesus' name. So that's the greeting, and this is the ground upon which we stand. Know your ground. Stand your ground. Be secure in him in all circumstances. Look to him. Whoever else he uses to help you, so be it. But remember, he is the source. Depend on him alone. Don't allow your mind to be overwhelmed by all the negative forces out there, whether they are the virus, the economic situation, or all the other stuff going on. We dwell in the dominion of God. And in that dominion, there is provision, there is strength, there is joy, there's encouragement, there is wisdom, there is power in the presence of God. Do this as part of the community. We will see how one of the characteristics of these false teachers is that they were self-shepherding people. No, no, no. You've got to take care of yourself spiritually. Yep, there is spiritual self-care. I know that. But God has given authority to leaders in the church, your cell leaders, the pastoral team, and other mature brothers and sisters. And as you stay connected to them, you're going to flourish in 2021. And as we do this, we watch and pray, watching for every strategy of the enemy that is designed to move you away from your pure devotion, your total dependence on Christ, and your submission, loving, willing submission to who Jesus really is. 